and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by The Athletic today on the show. Matthew Penny is in the building. We're going to do a G League Elite Camp and NBA Draft Combine preview, as well as maybe just a couple quick thoughts on the lottery as it gets set to happen all in Chicago next week. What up, Ben? <laughs> ben and Pipsqueak, we're here. Ben and Pipsqueak are in the building. And we are ready and able to talk about basketball. Uh, how are things, Penny? Things are, are always great here. Always peachy and, and lovely. Boston, Massachusetts. I, I was more with, with this week. With, it was a crazy NBA week. And the, the hours, the time difference is a little funky for uh, our friends in Australia. And I'm just I'm here to also make sure that you're back on track time-wise with the, the comings and goings of, of basketball from the collegiate to professional level today. Yeah, it was a wild week. I uh, recorded the podcast with Danny, and it was really fun and enjoyable. Um, yeah, I had no idea a lot of that stuff that had happened until Danny broke to me on the podcast. And that is always, uh, having to react live to things is always a little bit of an adventure, but what can you do? Uh, why don't don't you just tell me what happened? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, having said that, I've seen Fast and Furious 9 now. Okay. We're back. We're we're totally back. Perfect. We're back. I I don't want to dive into it because I know it's not out in the United States yet. Um, (laughs) Like the real spoilers, not even like the bootleg spoilers. This is like real, real deep web spoilers you got. Yeah. Uh, I will just say it's it's a wild movie. (laughs) You're you're, like your time and space of being over there. It just doesn't doesn't make sense anywhere. I I did laugh when uh, when you posted that you're going to do a, a podcast about not knowing what happened because you were asleep. It made me think of when coronavirus and the pandemic first started in March of what would be 2020. I was watching the A-10 tournament, watching the alma mater, UMass. They're like pulled off the court during warmups. And there was a report, and, and that's when the, the virus really started going. There was a report like a week later that Jared Leto, who is an actor and, and lead singer, was on a 12-day silence retreat in the desert. So he didn't have his phone. He didn't have communication with the outside world. So I immediately thought of that, like getting back from the desert. They're like, oh, yeah, dude, like the world's crumbling. And your basketball world is crumbling. You wake up. Here, here's six storylines that have uh, been front page news that you missed. Yeah, Hollinger uh, had uh, like messaged me while I was recording the podcast. And he was like, yeah, I can't imagine what it was like waking up over there and not having any idea what was happening. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, yeah, that's about right, John good call um okay so let's uh let's just dive into combine related materials so we have the lists for the nba draft combine and the g league elite camp were there any names that surprised you in terms of invites uh more interesting names than surprises i mean do you want to start kind of with like the the g league elite camp you're gonna go combine first let's just do like Let's do the names on the lists first, and then we'll start with the Elite Camp, and then we'll go to Combine after. Yeah, so I, I guess kind of my my interesting names without diving into it, and, and you can kind of drive the car here. For the G League Elite Camp, I'd say Jalen Wilson from Kansas, uh, Ja'Cory McLaughlin from UCSB, Kofi Coburn from Illinois, and Musa Cisse from Memphis were the kind of ones that stuck out for me initially. 
Yeah, I'll be honest. I was a little bit surprised that Kofi didn't get a regular combine invite. Like, I have him in the range of G League elite camp, but he tends to be the kind of guy that gets a combine invite. You know, like, and there's, I'll be honest, like, I, I, I don't really see the case for someone like McCurr Maker over Kofi, but, you know, uh, on the same token, I'm sure that NBA teams really want to see McCurr Maker after he played two games at Howard and hasn't really been seen in a year, right? Right, and and he was kind of banged up that last season on the grassroots circuit, too. He came to Steph Curry camp at, at not 100%. He wasn't 100%. Playing at Hoopal, he played at multiple high school prep schools this last year. There's there's plenty of film on him, but not really up to date stuff. So you, you see it a little bit from that perspective that they're trying to get fresh eyes on a guy who's who's six eleven is kind of a four five shooter runner that just you need to see against that level of competition and shut it down early in the season with Howard. Yeah, so we'll see what he looks like. Uh, I will say, I I think that the names McKinley Wright and Jericho Sims surprised me. Uh, Not that they're undeserving. I I think that they're very deserving, especially Jericho Sims. I'm actually really glad he got a combine invite. I've just had him ranked too low the whole year after having, like, really done the dive into his tape for the draft guide. Um, And then McKinley Wright is just fascinating because do you know what McKinley Wright shot on floaters this year, Penny? really put him in a spot early i don't he shot 60 percent on floaters this year mm, which good. is a wild number like just an absolutely insane number that uh, i can't really like remember someone that had an analogous season on that kind of volume because like he took 67 floaters like he took a ton of them this year i think he was like in the top five in terms of like points scored off of floaters and pulling it up now um according to synergy as always uh just the best people in the world over there yeah he was second in the country in points scored off of floaters and he made them at 60 percent which is who's who's the trivia question who was first okay jv on hamlet at Uh, texas yep which by the way a little bit surprised that he didn't get a invite to the G League Elite camp, if we're going to be honest. But um, like, I would have taken him over like Devonte Jones and some of these other guys. But nonetheless, I digress. Um, it, it's McKinley Wright's a good one. I'm glad, and I've heard really good things about him working out uh, pre-draft as well. Heard he's really shooting the ball at a high level. So uh, I was excited to see those two names. I would say because uh, I think that they will perform well in the five on five yeah and you've, you've sort of started to start your trend to be higher on jericho sims as well as we were kind of talking about off the air before as a as a broader kind of snapshot too in a broader sense what i do like is how there are 69 names for the nba combine and there's still room for more guys to be bumped up based on performance at the g league elite camp which yep. to me is a really nice touch because if you're if there's somewhat like of this Champions League relegation model or, or or whatever it may be, it gives the event the G League Elite Camp some real juice, and it also somewhat prevents players or or I'd say more specifically maybe agents of players shutting them down after a good workout or two because they're trying to aspire to play at at the big show the next week at the uh, the NBA Combine. Yeah, so just real quick in terms of. You know, names that maybe surprised me on the G League elite list. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised to see, like, uh, Begarin, uh from France. Like, I was surprised he's participating. Uh, 
was a little bit surprised to see like DJ Carton was a little bit surprised to see um, like Mike Smith and Devonte Jones and guys like that. I was a little bit surprised to see Dwayne Washington from Ohio state as well. Uh, th- there are certainly some names like Matt Coleman is a name. Uh, I was surprised that he didn't get an elite camp invite. I uh, actually very surprised that he didn't get an elite camp invite. Uh, John Chepkevich of rookie scale reported that Jordan Hall turned down his invite in order to play the U 19s. Uh, he would have been someone that would have been really great to see at an event like this. Uh, just trying to trying to think of some other names. Mitch Ballack and Jordan Shackle are guys that I would have liked yes, to see just Ballack in terms sure. of like high level shooters uh, that I think can play a potential NBA role just as a floor spacer. Um, you know, Delano Banton didn't get an invite to either of these. Uh, I'm kind of in- interested in him long term. I've been a Matt Lewis guy at James Madison for a while. I would have invited him over a couple of the guards there. Uh, I don't know. Any anyone else stand out to you? Uh, is is Ron Harper I, I, Jr. on either of these lists too? I don't believe so. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see. I think toward the end yeah. of the year it didn't fall off, but he had that early buzz when he was playing well and Rutgers was really cooking before they went home for the holidays, and then it wasn't the same to finish the year. So I, I'm not shocked he wasn't at the NBA draft combine, but maybe a, one of these G League invitations that, that could have been floated his way. We, we've talked exclusions. I did like the inclusion of EJ Onu from Shawnee State, who's kind of totally built agree. A, a little bit of a following, I guess, that, that people are starting to go back and watch NAI tape on this 6'11 kid with a 7'8 wingspan that somehow shot 47% from three. So for him to play a lot of good bigs and, and different style bigs and Kofi Coburn and, and Hunter Dickinson and it's it's not the same level of play that he had and just how it kind of translates into big time basketball or if it yeah totally like he's someone that i got told about in i want to say march uh to go and like watch tape on that he might be like a real nba prospect because there were a lot of schools in the like high major ranks that were recruiting him and were looking into okay is this guy we want to bring in in order to uh, you know, fill our need in the front court, and here he is declared for the draft. And I, I tried to kind of explain that to people that like he was really interesting for NBA teams as well. Uh, so I, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure he's going to be in college next year, but I, I'm intrigued to see where it goes with EJ Onu because, like you said, the tools are ridiculous. Like he moves really well too for being 6'11 with like I don't know if it's a seven eight wingspan. I'm going to be fascinated to see what that comes in at. But there is enough there for me to be very interested, uh, just based off the physical tools and the shooting. It's Paul Bunyan status. It's is it seven six? It's seven eight? It's, it's huge. It's it's bigger. It's bigger than seven one for his wingspan. But he he does have the tools. He he does when you watch the tape. He he gets up and down the the floor really well. He flies off the floor. He's able to kind of do whatever he wants in the NAI in the paint because yeah. he he is just so much bigger. So he turns and, and buries that elbow and shoulder into you and he's dunking every possession and they let him trail the play more and and take some threes this year i think it was like somewhere in the 80s for attempts he took 100 something the year before year before that was 50s or 60s so clearly that the staff there is letting him kind of expand and and show his more rounded skill set other than being sometimes at that level you just see guys that are bigs and they're just like be a big like stand on the block hit a jump hook and and kick it out but but he's able to do a little bit more yeah so let's actually just like talk about the G League Elite Camp a little bit here. 
Uh, who are the best guys that you're most excited to see at this camp? Yeah, there there's some really interesting ones. and I, I do think there's great storylines here, too. And I, I want to start with Jalen Wilson from Kansas. And for me, this is at the top of my list because it's almost more of a college basketball storyline. Because you have Oche Agbaji from Kansas also declaring and getting an invitation to the NBA Combine. Those two back in Kansas next year with Remy Martin, Christian Brown, Dave McCormick, they're probably a preseason top five team. And for Wilson, he, he redshirts as a freshman, has a broken ankle, and he only plays two games. Comes back this past college season, he's much better shape, and starts the year off hot. He has big games against Gonzaga, St. Joe's. He, I'd say almost won him that game against Kentucky early in the season has this this buzz he's he's built and he just stagnates a little bit he had single digit points the last four games of the year he had two points in the tournament versus usc which was coming off he had covid and he didn't even play in the first round versus eastern washington but a kid who's six foot eight can play inside and outside kind of this interchangeable wing from the three and four rebounds it pretty well i mean my follow just kind of to you is where are we at with him a as a prospect and, and b Again, it's an overarching point on this G League camp. If you're a guy like Jalen Wilson and you're invited to this camp and and not necessarily the combine with a couple years of eligibility to play, is it worth kind of running this race and going through the process now? Yes, I think he should go through the process. But if I was him, I would not leave Kansas unless I got a guaranteed deal. Like actually like guaranteed full roster deal, not a two-way. And... The reason for that is kind of similar to what you said. I think there's real upside here. He's six foot eight. He's shown some potential to shoot it. He's shown some potential to create his own shot. But a lot of those early season wins for Jalen Wilson, right? Those early season big games against Kentucky, against Creighton, against Texas. These games often came with him playing large minutes at the five and taking advantage of mismatches that he won't be able to take advantage of at the NBA level because teams won't play him at the five at the NBA level because he can't play at the five in the NBA level. And if you go back and you listen to Bill Self kind of talk during the season, it was interesting because even though Jalen Wilson was playing well and they were having all this success with Jalen Wilson at the five, Self was pretty strong that they needed to get David McCormick going. And yes, he felt that was their best long-term route to success, even while Jalen Wilson was playing well in these big games, which kind of says to me, maybe, you know, it might be like a small sample thing where he's playing well and uh, this isn't sustainable long-term necessarily right now with where Jalen's game is. Long-term in terms of like his growth and development, maybe it is, but not right now, it's probably not. So I, I just kind of look at it with Jalen and I, I I think I would be surprised if he ended up being able to get a guarantee because I just don't think his jumper is there yet based off of what we saw the whole year, right? Right. It was 33%, which I thought would be a lot higher. Uh, I do like his jumper with his feet set, especially on those kickouts. And Bill Self, as good a coach in college basketball right now today, he threw out the playbook of what they do. He said, "We're okay, he's been a, a high-low, two-big guy forever. He said, Jalen Wilson, you're going to play the five. We're going to spread it out. We're going to play a little zone defense. It, it, it was survival, and, and they did it. But you're right. He's just naturally not going to be able to be in that position and exploit those mismatches that he has been. And they had to get Dave McCormick going because he's a, a former McDonald's All-American, and when he's good, they're really good. And he had times we struggled, especially defensively. 
But I, I guess it's just kind of a long-winded way of me saying I want to see more of Jalen Wilson and, and be more productive outside of that first run of games to start the year where there's really not a lot of scout on you either. There's not a lot of film, and schematically you're, you can kind of catch guys by surprise. I mean, I remember when he came off the bench, it was almost like I didn't know Jalen Wilson had this in him. It was kind of, for me anyway, out of sight, out of mind when he redshirted and didn't even play the year before. Yeah, no, I think that's basically right. I mean, it, it was surprising when he came out and played as well as he did. In terms of the guys that I think are like true needle movers here, A, I'll just point to the guys that are like the best players on my board, right? Uh, I really like Derek Alston at Boise, you know, six foot eight, very high level shooter, can create his own shot, just very skinny and is continuing to develop his body. Uh, you know, kind of a late bloomer, uh, physically kind of guy that. Uh, anytime you're that big and you can shoot 38% from three and 80% from the line, uh, I'm pretty interested uh, in terms of long-term potential. Uh, Kofi Coburn, again, like I think he is just one of the best players uh, that will be at this event, and I think he probably will be able to move up to the NBA Combine. Uh, Marcus Garrett is probably my best player uh, that is going to be at this event, and I think he is going to come out with like a real chip on his shoulder, having seen that... Uh, you know, he he was the best player in Kansas this year and was not the player that was invited to the NBA Combine. Ochai was. Like, I, I know that Ochai averaged more points, but you ask anyone who was the beating heart of that team, it's Marcus Garrett. So, Be- Beating I, that, heart, but the same, at the same time, though, like, just in terms of NBA potential, you get it, even if you're, I know you're not the biggest Agbaji fan, but probably looks the part and could fit a little sure. bit more than Garrett. And with Garrett, my concern, even with this type of camp, is his intangibles and what he can bring to the table it's certainly more defensive driven i don't know if those things are going to pop enough for who's ever running this event throughout the player association whatever it may be to say that's the guy of three invitations that we need to move up if say Derek alston shoots the heck out of the ball or if ej onu does enough and if kofi coburn were like you know what we messed up he should he should probably be at the the real nba combine and not just here The thing with Marcus Garrett is, though, I think that where people get a little bit lost on this is he is big. He is six foot five. He's not your typical like six foot one, six foot two high level defensive guard. Like he is big enough to be able to guard multiple positions in the NBA. He can also handle and can make high level passes and he plays really well within the team construct. Like you're 100 percent right that it's not a uh, it's not a setting conducive to what he does but i don't like he is the epitome of the guy that is like a jump shot away from playing a very high level role in the nba right like and that's sure just, but that, that's a, it's a big swing though uh, to just to ju- there's a lot of guys who are jump shot away at he's a little bit bigger at six foot five but at six foot two defends can switch is a leader yeah, i just i have a hard time wrapping my head around him being able to show enough in these pockets of workouts and i think they're still doing some strength and conditioning stuff and obviously they'll play five on five he would almost to me be better off in a small team workout for an nba squad where yeah it, it'll be the these tinier off the side type two on two things and he can trap and really be vocal and and maybe he shows his, his shot there with 40 players is to me it'll just be more difficult for him to stand out no i think that's right uh i think that's completely reasonable that 
this is not the setting for him. You go and put him in a three on three setting at one of these team workouts, and he is gonna like make someone's life absolutely miserable. Uh, and he's gonna make a lot of these guards. <laughs> right. He's gonna make a lot of these guards' lives absolutely miserable. By the way, like in he, this he will he, he will do that, and and that's why a, a guy for me like Jacory McLaughlin from UCSB. How does that look with with Marcus Garrett on him? Yeah, I'm very intrigued by McLaughlin. I mean, there are some interesting small school guards here, like Devontae Jones out of Coastal Carolina, who's heading to Michigan if he doesn't go through with the draft process. Like, he's a guy that a lot of analytics staffs really like because of the rebounding, the defensive production, um, the fact that he was like a high-level finisher this year. Uh, Like, a lot of teams are kind of interested in that. And um, then on, like, the other side of the spectrum, you have MJ Walker, who... I'm really interested in as a like I've had him on my top 100 for a little while now and I know he's 24 years old but he's a former McDonald's All-American that's really athletic and defends at a very high level and is now a pretty consistent shooter like that that just kind of seems like even though the numbers aren't like blowing you away and in terms of you know averaging crazy numbers of points like he averaged 11 and 12 points each of the last two years but you know what this dude also shot like 39 percent from three on 250 attempts and shot 80 percent from the line on 150 attempts like you throw that in with high level defense like that that's a skill level that sticks in the nba it can and his, his numbers and I, I probably say this too often his numbers at times were better than the tape like there were there were possessions for Florida State where you wanted them to to slow down and run the offense, and he could get a little bit hurried and, and get too excited and, and take some early ones or ones that are kind of like out of sync and out of flow of, of what they are. And uh, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here that 24 is is still old, but Jacory McLaughlin is is 23. He's been college basketball for five years, and obviously there, there's still players like Chris Duarte. We beat that drum. He, he's 24, so I, I don't know how much the age will play into it, but. The analytics are, are a piece, too, where some of these younger guys, the numbers pop more because we have to almost train ourselves. And, and we've done the A to B comparison of a guy like Franz Wagner versus Chris Duarte. And I've had to take a step back and say, if he's really, uh, whatever, four years older, what would Franz Wagner or a younger guy in, in this type of camp look like playing college basketball four years down the line? And it's like a different lens to look at through. It's like, well, I hope he'd be averaging as many points as he would and beating up on younger guys during conference play. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, too. Uh, you know, I'm very, very interested to see how a lot of these younger guys, you know, in these combine settings play, you know, whenever one of the guys you're going up against is Eugene Omegruyi, who is just a physical beast at six foot seven 235 pounds and like would be ready to play professional basketball right now you know at a high level or even a guy like matt mitchell who's strong as a bear and you're you're matching up versus him what does that look like yeah like what what does dawson garcia against matt mitchell who he has like an enormous size advantage over like what does that look like like honestly i don't think that's going to go well for dawson garcia no, but but it, it's good because it, it does give us the these different hints and clues and views of players. And a guy like Kofi Coburn, he is who he is. Like I think we all thought he was going to stay in the draft anyway throughout the year. He's seven feet tall. He's two hundred eighty five pounds. He shot almost sixty five percent from the field. His game is power and aggression. He it's not changing. So yeah. I don't think he has an illusion of what he is. He took one three in two years at Illinois, and, and I've posed it as. 
and you can have the same type of conversation about like a Hunter Dickinson. He is what he is. His skill set isn't evolving all that much. Uh, Kofi Coburn had five assists all year long. If he goes back to school and has 25 assists, I don't think his draft range necessarily shifts that dramatically. But it will shift dramatically if we're, we're in this setting and he's guarding ball screens and, and isn't completely roasted or I'm still drawn back to the NCAA tournament when Cameron Crutrig from Loyola was able to pull him away from the basket and just kind of have his way with him. So I, I'm yeah. more interested in those type of adjustments than necessarily like going back to college and, and trying to figure it out there on the fly. Yeah, like to, to me, like with Kofi, the two things he could have done by returning to Illinois, which he's not doing, like we know that now, um, is he could have improved his perimeter defense and shown that he's more mobile and better than what people think he is out there. And he could have started running more like DHOs, could have started running more interesting offensive actions uh, away from the basket as opposed to just screening and rim running or trying to run the floor or being in the dunker spot, right? Um being able to handle the ball on the perimeter is such an important part of what NBA teams do now or like showing that he can screen and short roll as opposed to screen and rolling all the way to the basket. Like to me, that's more important than a jump shot for him. Kind of like you said, um, but in Kofi's case, you know, it's that entire staff basically is turning over in Illinois. Uh, Steven Gentry, who ran the offense, went to Gonzaga. Chin Coleman and uh, Orlando Antigua went to Kentucky. Like, I don't know that that's like, I'm not saying Illinois is going to be in trouble or anything, but I don't know that that's necessarily the most exciting place to return if you're him, right? No, and his eyes were always set on the NBA, and it's not... Like he's gonna be a, a hard roller. He's gotta be able to catch and dunk and, and rip the rim off. It's it's what else can you do? And I, I was looking up just as comparatively speaking for Yudoka Azubuki, who was a first round pick, late first round pick last year. I believe he played fifty seven minutes. So you're on a better team, and you're not gonna get as much time and burn. But yep. teams will probably look at that and see the translation level and similar archetypes ish defensive not as mobile as some of these other guys here or or smaller bigs like an Amir Sims who can move better on the perimeter and be a a little bit more switchable and and could hold guys off on on screens, whereas Kofi and and Hunter Dixon, those guys just don't do it as well. Yeah. Uh, As far as college basketball is concerned, the name I'm looking at is EJ Liddell at Ohio State. Uh, If I was EJ Liddell, I would not be leaving college basketball for anything less than a guaranteed contract because to me, like there's a very easy pathway to him improving his draft stock next year. And, you know, he doesn't just have to be, you know, the top of the G League elite class to get a guaranteed contract. Like he has to be probably in the top, you know, I don't know, top two thirds at least of the NBA draft combine to get and prove that he can get a guaranteed deal so i'm i'm fascinated by what he looks at the looks like at the g league elite camp if i was him i would not make any decisions until after we see that because this is a kid that's going to go into next year being the preseason big 10 player of the year uh it's going to be one of him or Hunter dickinson probably and with these guys like with six foot seven guards if he just like improves his frame a little bit and shoots away from the basket 
and improves his perimeter defense, particularly in his case, and becomes uh, a more reliable defender, much like Grant Williams did at Tennessee. Like, there's just an easy pathway for him to making the start of his professional career much easier, I think. And when you look at the numbers, his minutes for his freshman and sophomore year was 16 minutes a game, then up to almost 30. He took 26 threes as a freshman, up to 80. So that staff is letting him also develop yep. and show what he's able to do. That The shot's not bad from mid-range. It gets a little dicey when you go out to the three-point line, but it, it's not unfixable to, to what you're saying. He may be a guy that just you want to see in more game reps in the Big Ten to get a better read on how it would work in the NBA. Yeah, and then um, you know a couple other guys that stand out in that regard. Scottie Pippen Jr. will be one of the top players in the SEC if he decides not to come out. Uh, just kind of looking through the list here. Is Carleek Jones officially decided that he's leaving? I don't think he is. I don't know if that's official or not yet. Yeah, like that would be a big one for college basketball. Hunter Dickinson is obviously an enormous one. Like Michigan's going to have their eyes like fully on this combine even more than the NBA draft. <laughs> They'll be locked in to watching the live stream. Yeah, they've got Dickinson, they've got Devontae Jones, they've got Mike Smith there. Like what a what a what a loaded group for the Michigan uh Wolverines. And then Marcus Carr is an interesting one too. Uh I I don't I think he kind of announced that he's leaving. But you know, I don't know if he's hired an agent yet. Uh, like I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where this goes. Before we get yelled at, I'm just looking up on the fly that Carly Jones has signed with an agent, will not be utilizing the extra year of eligibility granted him by the NCAA, so he is gone. Carly Jones is officially gone. That's uh, oh. gone one month ago. We were, I guess, we were both sleepwalking through that one. Yeah. Uh, another another name, just he, he's been the steadyish hand, is Javante Smart from LSU. He's shot sure. the ball really well in, in workouts. I never really thought he was a true point guard, even when he had Skylar Mays the year before and he had Cam Thomas this year, but was a, a leader for that team and want to see what it looks like with, with other kind of pieces around him as well. Yep. Okay. Let's. Uh, is that all we've got on this elite camp? We haven't mentioned the name Jose Alvarado. Jose Alvarado is just a really good basketball player, and I'm intrigued to see where he goes here as well. Yeah. No, that's my takeaway. I, I really like it. This is a is a really value add of the combine before the combine for these fringe draft players outside the top 60. And if you're good enough, it's a nice barometer to say I can go to the actual combine, and if not, maybe you go back to school or. It's a uh, reality check. Yeah. Uh, Okay, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll talk about the NBA Draft Combine. Okay, and we're back. Penny, this NBA Draft Combine list is very interesting for a number of reasons, I think the thing I'm most interested in looking at is what players end up playing and what players end up deciding not to play. Absolutely. That, that's definitely the takeaway. And I got excited for a minute when the list first came out. I'm like, man, these all guys are going to be. Th-. And I said, yeah, I don't want, like half the guys don't even really play. And uh, there'll be a, a large portion of them that just do the interview piece or interviews and measurements and despite the list being 69 names i don't know how many of those guys will play and and maybe that will dictate a little bit how many g league camp players are pulled up if they're trying to put together five and five teams and i I just i want to add a a quick piece here on the actual interviews and i I guess it's kind of like an aside of treating people the right way to 
So I, I have a friend on kind of the periphery of the draft process for some NBA teams, and he's been working on a project with mostly second-round pick level type guys. And the importance of being a second-round guy and crushing everything else other than basketball is imperative. He said one prospect more or less like slept, walked through a presentation on the pre-draft, and another prospect he met with was completely dialed in and actually wrote him a thank you note afterwards. These things like actually do matter. And these things get back to teams, get back to general managers, people involved. And it's easy to skip these little steps, but it's almost buyer beware that don't do it. You're so close. Do everything you can if you're going to be the ninth, 10th, 12th man on a roster to present yourself in a positive light, even outside of basketball. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, that stuff really does make a difference being a high level character kid. And luckily, a lot of the kids in this class particularly are. Uh, from all the character checks that I've done, and I'm sure from all the ones that you've done, um, a lot of the a lot of the kids in this draft really do uh, like tick those boxes. Like Herb Jones, have heard nothing but elite level things. Kessler Edwards, nothing but elite level things. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop saying names now, just because if I don't say another <laughs> another if the I high like character Nick, guy, he yeah. is the high character guy in the draft, Sam. If I name like five of them uh, in yeah. public, everyone's going to be like, well, what about my guy? I'm going to get like six agent text messages. Jesus exactly. That, those um, guys from the same agency. Who texted you? Yeah, nobody. <laughs> we're, we're going on the fly here. Same thing in Australia. Yeah. We don't even know what day it is. Totally. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to just start naming like one from each agency. <laughs> like, yeah, this It'll be an inside great. joke to us. We're figuring out the equation as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I'm intrigued to see. I, I think that you're 100% right that the interview process is by far uh, the second most important thing that happens at the Combine. The most important thing is the medical. And I'll be interested to see what guys do medicals, what guys don't do medicals. Um, that That's always a fascinating one. And hopefully everyone gets cleared uh, by the league. I think that that's important. And uh Obviously, NBA teams get access to these as well and get to kind of make their own calls in terms of what a uh, what a medical report says or doesn't say about a guy. So for medical reports, and I know this has changed or it's, it's shifted the last couple of years. If a guy gets a medical, does that mean necessarily that all teams have access to said medical or physical? Uh, yeah, at the combine, yeah. Okay. But if it's private and they do it just for like a couple of teams here and there, they don't necessarily have to distribute that to everyone. Yeah, yeah, like they, they can sit out, like players can sit out the medical. Uh, the NBA strongly discourages that among agencies. Uh, I don't know what the teeth are on that necessarily. Like, like does the NBA just say, no, we strenuously object, like uh, Demi Moore in A Few Good Men? <laughs> or <laughs> yes. is... Or is it like, you know, something where they can penalize the agencies or players? Like, I, I've not heard of anything like that. Um, but for the most part, you know, uh, uh, like Michael Porter a few years ago, like didn't go through the medical checks at the combine instead did like a private one and then issued out the results to teams because they were trying to control and dictate a little bit of where he would be able to go, which I'm in favor of if you're a draft prospect that has uh, any questions in that regard and you're able to kind of dictate some control over the process. I think that's just, smart business on their part and some of these guys well let me rephrase some of like the upper tier guys who do we know have said no like chris duarte is not there franz wagner's not there 
There's yeah, like, still guys it, over, overseas still playing. So, like, Usman Garuba is not there. Yeah. Uh, Alperin Sengun is not there. Well, so it's not, not there. everyone. And, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, we know where he's going. So, I'm, <laughs> I'm not as worried about him, per se. Yeah, like, Cade, um, Jalen Suggs is not there. Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned Wagner. Chris Duarte not there. Uh, Josh Giddy is not there because Giddy is here in Australia. Um, Shangun is playing with the Turkish national team, Franz Wagner. I don't know if he's playing with the German national team, but the dates do line up, I will say. Um, yeah, you mentioned Garuba. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone. Oh, there are two other names. It's uh, Santi Aldama. Which yes, saw that didn't he did not I, I don't know what happened with Santi I will just say uh, but th- I, I find it very very hard to believe that he wouldn't get an invite at least to the G League Elite camp we'll put it that way, right and yeah, then no Joel Ayayi is another player who theoretically could be at like with the French national team but uh, he's not on the initial roster list and. There's just no way that he didn't get an invite to the Combine or the G League, G League Elite Camp. So, I, I don't know what's going on there in terms of why he's not at the Combine, basically. Some of these guys want you not to know what's going on, too. Totally. There is, there, there is a level of mystery. Did he get a promise? Is he late first? Is he early second? And there's that Jokic story from a couple weeks ago where the agent said, I said I was pulling him out, but we really weren't to drive up interest and appeal. So, a lot of guys are playing chess behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote that story. There you go. <laughs> Quoted by you. <laughs> Quoted by me per from Mishko. You. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting, too, with the Gonzaga guys. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Joel Ayayi is a former French player, or is a former Gonzaga player from France who decided not to go to the Combine. Killian Tilly did this last year, actually. Tilly had just a number of injuries over the course of his career, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if that's kind of why he decided not to do the Combine. But, you know, maybe there's just something to that being I, I don't know i don't know what the deal is with ai that it's bizarre to me that ai is not um at the combine and more to it more to it. um well as we get closer here the next week or two maybe we get some more details but the good news is there is a great collection of players that actually did say yes which is encouraging as well yeah uh, i totally agree with that and let's talk about some of those guys that are going to be there i mean who are you most excited to see play uh in test at the combine i i have a few but i'm going to start with uh, a little bit of a polarizing one i think you and i are kind of aligned max Smith from oral roberts I, I really hope that he plays he, he lead, led the nation scoring over 24 game great shooting numbers 48 percent from the field 43 percent from three and when he did score it was against everybody it wasn't puffed up numbers in conference he had 28 against Wichita State, 33 against Oklahoma State, tourney run of 29, 26, and 25 versus Ohio State, Florida, and Arkansas. The synergy numbers check out. He's a 98th percentile off catch and shoot, 95th percentile off the dribble, but still small at, at 6'1", 165 pounds. I'm, I'm most worried about the defensive actions that he's a part of. He gets crushed out of screens. He looks lost a lot of time going under ball screens, posted up by bigger guards and driven up the lane. The lack of size hurts him on the glass. So I want to see how he kind of matches up now where the schemes in these types of games aren't necessarily going to be about getting him a high ball screen from 38 feet away and letting him be able right. to dance and, and score at will. 
Yeah, that's a really good way to phrase it. In the case of A. Smith as well, I can't imagine that he's not going to play, right? Like, No, I would think he plays. He I would think he plays, but you just don't know with agents that guys say, yeah, we're not doing it. There, the, yeah. Every year it's a couple guys where it's, why is this guy not playing? Well, yeah, like, I'm going to be honest, I, I, I'm not really anticipating Brandon Boston playing, right? Despite the fact that Brandon Boston isn't a consensus first-round pick. Uh, a lot of the time, agencies don't really do that. They don't really play the guys that aren't necessarily, or the guys that you would think are trying to like move themselves up draft boards uh, for one reason or another. Uh, I think that the average has been like 30 to 35 guys have sat out uh, the five-on-five portion over the last few years, which is more first-round picks than there are. So um, I think Ace misses... There are some people who really like Max and who are really excited about the pull-up ability and creativity, but there are a lot more questions out there to where to solidify his position. And given that he's like, he's still trying to gather information like on whether or not he's going to return to college or not. Like this is a guy that needs to make a decision. And the best way to do that is to get the most information possible before making said decision, I guess. Part of it is I'm, I'm very interested in his actual measurements, too. And I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of totally. devil's advocate here. That uh, I dug up today that Trey Young, back in the 2018 combine, was 6'1 and 3 quarters and 178 pounds. Similar to kind of what Max is. He was a shade over 6 feet barefoot, had a 6'3 wingspan, and he's currently averaging 25 points and 9 assists per game in the NBA. So we can't completely dismiss the size because I know Trey is a, a different, almost generation-level guy. But we fall in love with measurables this time of year. Like when Mo Bamba had a, a 7'10 wingspan or, or Trey Duvall was 6'2 but a 6'8 wingspan. At, at what, there is a point, and I don't know where the break is, where the film has to do more of the work and not necessarily, I guess, the, the tape measure. Uh, did that sound weird? I didn't mean that no, to come off weird. Just, uh, <laughs> I was rolling. I'm like, I don't, I don't know why I'm, I'm bringing up tape measure analogies. But just the, the over – my point is that like it, it's not always the size thing, but how it kind of translates when they're actually playing five on five. No, you're 100% right. You're, you could not be more correct. Uh, I think that sometimes like longer arms can portend a bit more of defensive upside. Uh, I think that frame is obviously really important. Like if Max A. Smith comes in at like 160 pounds or something crazy, like it's going to be a problem for him. Uh, they're just looking back through history. I don't think there are many guys like 165 and under that have been wildly successful as far as I know. Like that's even much skinnier than Trey. Right. Yeah. So, it's, still, it's still about it's still about ten pounds. And and Max did say in an interview that he's grown since he's been to college. Don't know if that means weight. If that means height. Um, heard similar things from uh, a scout about Jordan Hall. Says he's taller than he was. So when when they're actually lined up against the wall, we'll have a, a better idea of how much college media guides are, are giving them a little exercise versus this is what it really is. Aismas is probably the guy I'm most interested in seeing. Because I want to see how this all translates to success within a five-on-five setting whenever you're surrounded by a ton of very high-level athletes, not just like a couple when you're playing a certain team. 
right? Uh, like Ohio State was a great matchup for him because Ohio State was not the most athletic team in the world, didn't have a ton of length, and didn't have a ton of like lateral quickness. Like this event will put him in tougher circumstances, I think. Um, I'm, and I'm very interested in that. I, w- I want to see where it goes. Yeah, uh, and because Arkansas was, was really good at that too and, and went back and watched that game this week of how they did start to isolate Moody or, or one of their bigger wings guards on a corner, cleared out that side and just let them go to work or as a cross screen and he can't fight over it and you're creating those scoring opportunities. I want to see how much he's able to, I guess, adjust on the fly more so than he was during the year and, and he knew he was going to be on the court for 40 minutes, like the entire game. He played multiple entire yep. games you naturally take plays off. It's just the way it's going to be. You can't do that in the NBA. Okay. The guy I'm most curious to see if he actually plays five on five is Deuce McBride. I think there's a chance that if Deuce McBride plays five on five, he solidifies himself as a first round pick. Uh, you, are, you are all in. I love it. I am. Uh, this Dude, is a perfect setting for him. We have, 69, we have 69 names here and you're back to Deuce. I love it. It's a perfect setting for him. Like, super up-tempo basketball where he can play like super ball denial uh and make an impact in the eyes of scouts like he'll his defense is very loud and in your face uh i think that that will be very interesting uh to see for a lot of players who maybe haven't seen that like in your face pressure like deuce mcbride against max Asmus, i don't think that goes well for max yeah yeah we'll see it's it, with mcbride too and we, we've joked about it and said it in jest, but in all seriousness, he was a, a big-time high school football player. He's going to crush testing. Like, the testing, oh, I, have, yeah. I have no concerns about. Yeah, no, 100%. And on the other side of that, I'm really interested to see what Jason Preston looks like. Uh, yeah, good one. This is a kid that is six foot four, six foot five. I've been told he is a better athlete than what he looks looks like on the court. And... I'm someone who said kind of throughout the year that I don't think he's like a great ball handler. He's more of just like a change of pace ball handler. And I think that holds back some of his athleticism. I'm very interested to see if Jason Preston like pops some athletic numbers that maybe look a little bit better than what we're thinking they look. Could see the athletic numbers, and he had a few possessions during the year when he actually has time to load up in the lane. He can rise up, and if a guy's slow to rotate, it kind of looks like he dunks on him, but not when the guy's on his hip. For me, it's it's is he going to be able to do it within the action of the game and not just hit the the highest stick on the vertical jump measuring tape that they have up there? Yeah, I agree. Um, we mentioned Jericho Sims already. I think that I am going to call my shot here and say in terms of max standing reach, so whenever you add the vert to the uh, standing reach number, so it's essentially how high can you high point uh, the ball. I am going to say I think Jericho Sims tops that measurement at this combo. Oh, I thought you were going to go for the record. It, it's too bad. I don't think they do the bench press anymore, right? I don't know if they do or not. I think it's would, not something I, I ever paid would, attention to. I think to. he would. Yeah. <laughs> well, after Durant does zero, I, I get it. But I think he'd just quickly scroll into the names. He would likely be first in that because I, I can't count how many times during Texas games this year they showed the transformation of freshman to senior year versus <laughs> how it started versus how it's going. Like he, He's huge. We get it. We get it, guys. He likes- uh, who, are, who are some guys you're looking at? Uh, I mentioned a couple now, so let's go back and forth a little bit. Mm, I have a couple more. Um, I'm going back to Johnny Juzang here. Don't know if he's going yep. back to school, and 
I, I was I was probably guilty of this more so than most. I, I probably jumped the gun and had him a little bit higher than he should have been. I still like him in the second round in, in the late 30s, early 40s. Some places are lower. There's other places that happen in the first round. At 6'6", creates his own shot, knows how to use his body, spin, seal, can have his man beat, then use that hang dribble and quickly pull up. It's, it is fair to say that the pull-up doesn't really change form off the dribble versus catch and shoot. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I agree. So I'm, I'm going to set you a little bit of a bear trap here. It reminded me of a quote by a college assistant of a 2018 draftee who oh, said he al- that- always shoots the same way, the same way every time. Everything in sports about eliminating excess movement and motion. He eliminates all needless motion with his arms, hands, body. He never fades. He's straight up and down, cookie cutter shot. Head doesn't tilt. Who are we talking about? 2018 NBA draft. Oh, man. It's actually kind of an easy one if you pull it up and look at it. 2018 NBA draft. Guys who don't change their shooting motion. Shooter who is a late, late, late draft riser goes in the first round. Oh, I know, I know who it is. Yeah. Are you Go talking ahead. about Kevin Herter? I am. So yeah. Kevin Herter declared for Maryland and destroyed the combine shooting drills and, and went 19th. And for context, not just saying destroyed, like here's the actual numbers. He started one drill where he made his first 14 straight three-pointers. Then was first in break right shooting. He didn't miss. First in corner right shooting. Didn't miss. And on the move 15 shooting, he shot 87%. And he was first in the shuttle run. I'm not saying he's him, but there could be a guy who comes not out of nowhere, but maybe in the 40s range, shoots the ball exceptionally well. We're still watching the NBA playoffs where floor spacers are needed more than ever, and somebody falls in love and, and puts together this in the final four run and says, why can't he be similar type to this type of player? Well, I, I think that there's another name that fits that even a little bit more for me. Um, Juzang's a good one. I think that Juzang, I don't think Juzang's going to test athletically quite as well as Herter did. And no, he's not, he's not going to win the shuttle run. I, I promise you that. Yeah, and the thing with Herter was... Yeah, I've, I've kind of gone back and talked to some scouts about Herter as well. And they actually really liked his defensive tape at Maryland uh, and thought that he had a shot to be pretty good on defense. Whereas with Juzang, I'm not there, we'll say. We'll, we'll go with that, right? Yes, we'll go with it. Um, and look, this guy isn't a great defender either, but I wonder if we see something similar with Joe Wieskamp. I knew it. I was scrolling the names. I said, who's going to go? I saw Wieskamp. I go, ah, that's the guy. But, I mean, Joe Wieskamp has shot the ever-loving piss out of the ball the last two years. Like, it's actually ridiculous. So, I wonder if he ends up being the guy that, like, isn't totally on the radar right now. But teams go back. He's shot almost 500 threes over the course of his, over the course of his college career and made them at 41%. Like, I don't know. Um, well, we, we had a friend, a, a mutual friend who've, who've linked us here that, that asked the question, if, if he weren't wearing an Iowa jersey and he was at uh, Kentucky, Kansas, where would we be talking about him going? Not a shot yeah. against Iowa, just saying you're, you're playing more around Luca Garza, National Player of the Year. If you were playing in a more spread out offense and he's shooting those percentages, is it more of a, a first round conversation? Yep. Uh, I agree. Uh, I'm. No, I don't know if I agree, because his defense is a little bit rough. But I've had Wieskamp as a top 50 guy the whole year, basically, and I'm not sure why people didn't kind of like 
take that as well and you know end up with him similarly uh similarly placed on their boards uh i'm trying to think who who else there is in this in this list i I mean like frankly i am fascinated by what luca garza is going to look like in this event he is he has very clearly lost a lot of weight he is trying to work on movement shooting and he's always been like sneaky okay at it. Like he's been a great pick and pop guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They even like ran a couple of like flare actions for him occasionally to get him free. Like he's a great shooter. Like I, I don't, I, I have no problem saying that. Like he is an absolutely terrific shooter. I'm fascinated to see what he looks like against NBA level athleticism. Cause most of these guys on the court that he'll be playing against will have something similar to NBA level athleticism. And there's, there's been a, a lot of workout videos of him surfacing and he looks in fantastic shape. He's lost 22 pounds or somewhere around there. Seems like he's moving a little bit better offensively. He's hitting shots, but I, I ironically, and I had someone, text me after i I tweeted a a video that was kind of sent to us was that it's still what he showed there wasn't necessarily the concerns with his game though either it was totally defense it was guarding uh pick and rolls it was you're switched on the perimeter what can you do like him being able to operate with short rolls like you said and a little bit in space and, and pull up and he shot the ball better this year it does look more fluid it looks like it's coming off his hand a little bit cleaner but that wasn't really my my hold up to him as a prospect it's are his feet better and there was one drill that they showed him he was like shadowing a guy running around and doing like rocky drills which is great does that work on the floor if he's guarding i don't know a a big that's a a little bit more mobile or he's got to switch out and guard trey murphy or he's he's switched on the perimeter to uh, name your pick like isaiah jackson if he plays i I don't know what that's gonna look like with there frank garza is gonna call you and just murder you right now (laughs) it's him there's some burner account that's like writing to me every day saying he should be in the first round maybe he is maybe he is it's it's fit it just need one yeah like i i really want to try and make the case for it like i i'll be honest like i I really do want to be the person that can make the case for luca garza like early i went back through the tape to do his draft guide profile earlier this week and it's just not there on defense like it sucks like but like i I did him and sandro mamukelishvili like back to back and the level to which sandro's game translates to the next level is just much higher uh you know a guy who can grab and go can really make high level passing reads like that's the other thing about garza like I, i don't know if he can't do it it's just it wasn't the role in the offense but we haven't really seen him make high-level passes before. And again, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm saying that there's no evidence of it on tape at this point that he can make high-level passes. And there's no evidence on tape that he is a ready and willing and available weak side rim protector. And there's no real evidence on tape that he can guard and actually uh, play drop coverage all that well. Like... He just has to load so much to make so many movements because of how um, like groundbound and non-twitchy athletically he is. Uh, I really hope that the work he's done on his frame to really uh, you know lean out and become a bit skinnier. I really hope that that has added some of that athleticism to his game and some of that quickness to where he's lighter on his feet. Because uh, otherwise, like I, I just don't. 
like I, I really I really want to be the person that can say like Luca Garza in the first round like let's do it because I, I I respect so much of how hard he's worked and I respect so much of like what he has done to make himself a great player I uh, it's an incredible story and, and it's one worth a lot of recognition I, I just can't get there I, I really wish I could I just can't get there what also doesn't help his case is we just saw a series with Nikola Jokic getting put in all these different screening actions by the Suns and I, I know he didn't have the a ton of help behind him and we're watching Chris Paul and Kevin Durant trying to kill drop coverage once and for all so even from those schemes I, I don't know what if anything changes in the NBA next year I know seven game series are are much different Sandro Mamakilashvili was was also a, a name you mentioned that I'm intrigued about I knew we were going to talk fives and, and international-based players here in Eastern Europe. Do we want to start by talking about the dust-up with Devin Booker and how Jokic's brother is screaming from the stands and they seem like two guys you don't ever want to mess with? Uh, no, I I don't want to ever bring them up, period, because I don't <laughs> want them to travel to Australia and like fight me. Yeah. I, I just saw it, and I was like, has Vince McMahon seen this video? Is, is the end of this road like a, a WrestleMania match with the Gronkowski brothers? Well, A, let's, like, call this what it is, too. So I got a note from someone that uh, the eldest Jokic brother, like, was arrested for a uh, domestic violence incident, let's say. Okay, Uh, dark. We're taking a turn here. (laughs) So let's let's just call that what it was uh, initially. And the other brother in my research for the Jokic story that I wrote, uh, like, he's like a straight up. Uh, Muay Thai fighter now. Yeah, not not the guy you want to be uh, messing with in the stands. Not him or the Suns and Four guy, I guess. No, like not I, the Jokic brothers. Like I had a couple of like NBA players or former NBA players. One of them was like Francisco Elson, like publicly on Twitter, and I had another one privately hit me, and they were like, "Yeah, those dudes wouldn't want to come out on the court like with us and be that way." And I was like. I don't know, man. Strahina's like six foot eight, <laughs> yeah. and Nemanja's six foot six, yeah. and is a Muay Thai yeah. fighter. All I, good. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, this might be uh, this might be redacted from the the pod list. I don't need to show up on some some list of these guys. Yeah, like I, I don't. It's like the Steve Buscemi like right at crossing it out and on the wall. Like, so glad I called that guy. Right, like th- those are two guys that like I think could actually like hang on the court against NBA dudes <laughs> yeah, in a fight. I think it'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a yeah, I'm a I'm a, I don't want to be anywhere near those dudes when they're angry. I will say. So, that. Sandro Mamakiosvili, he's six. Sandro, 10, give me he's some six Sandro eleven. Teams. Yes, yes, could be the biggest guard in the country. He brings the ball up, initiates the offense, can make threes. Uh, he, as much as he can do more stuff on the perimeter than a lot of the bigs were talking about, he gets excited as a playmaker, and he had 3.2 assists to 3.3 turnovers per game. Definitely can be used in dribble handoffs and pick and pops. He doesn't do the big man move of naturally turning his back to the basket on the catch from the perimeter, which you see a lot. Really good feet on the catch with jabs and pivots. He doesn't rush or panic with double teams or under the shot clock. There's some things to work with here, and I don't know necessarily, similar to, to Acemas, where Seton Hall just did such a great job of, of maximizing what he does and getting him the ball in positions where he could be great. In, in five on five, I, I don't know how much he'll necessarily be able to show that. Yeah, no, I think you're right on that front. Um, In terms of a couple other guys that I'm very interested to see, uh, Roko Prakachin, I'll be interested to see if he plays. Uh, 
just one of the youngest players in this draft, uh, played uh, for Sabona in the ACB League, or uh, not the ACB, I'm sorry, the Adriatic League this year, good Lord, um, was productive, especially later in the year, just very young. Uh, if you remember, Luka Samanich came and really played well at the Combine and kind of solidified himself as a first-round pick for the San Antonio Spurs. I believe that was back in 2019. Um wouldn't surprise me if we see something similar with Roko Prokacin, because I think Roko is actually very talented. I like his tape. There's a lot of, of fans of him, especially on, on draft Twitter, that have him way up there. I, I was more like a – I don't have the board right in front of me. pull it up. I, I think – where do you have him? I think I have him somewhere in the second round. I start a little earlier. I watch more film. I, I bumped him down a little bit. But intrigued, I, I saw his name amongst not a ton of international guys, and I don't know if he'll play. I, I would like him to. I'd like all these guys to play. Um, but it, at least you get some of the, the testing numbers and measurements and see how it stacks up against other American-based college guys. Yeah, I have Rocco uh, at like somewhere between like 27 and 35, right? Yeah, I, I just pulled mine up 35 for me. Yeah. Um, interesting player, though. I think is a really good shot to improve his stock this year. Um, anyone else I'm trying to think here JT Thor is another fascinating name just because of uh, the athleticism mixed with like can he actually shoot uh, there are a lot of people on the internet who are big fans of JT Thor and I can't really wrap my head around the yeah. whole the totality of the skill set in terms of that's the a, way it works on that's a great way of putting it the totality of it because i want him to turn back to school and, and live in the weight room but i get it because the tape and it's generally the highlight tape here it's encouraging he puts on muscle he seems to fall through a lot of contact which you're going to get a lot in the nba but for someone his size that can run and jump defend hit some threes protect the rim it, it makes sense a little bit i, I just i don't <sighs> I hope he plays. I hope he gets up and down. I, I know Auburn's loaded. I, I understand him wanting to chase the the pro options. It's it, it could be a, a thing where he sneaks in somewhere in the first round that he turns some eyes, or he slides in the second. He has a, a very wide range of where he could end up draft night, just from my two cents before he gets to the combine. Yeah, I agree with you. He's one of the wider ranges that we have right now. Um, the thing that is a little bit different for him than what I think people see or at least like the internet sees is i don't think he processes the game super quickly on offense and you see it in the fact that he doesn't really make high level passes at all and has like a one to two assist to turnover ratio and just generally i I don't know how comfortable i am when he has the ball yet (laughs) well it's funny because i i I cut up a bunch of his clips and just put out a um, one minute highlight reel or something and i have some queued up for when guys announce and a lot of the times for the highlights the games are, are like way over like they're they're up by 20 they're down by 20 so he's not doing a lot of his highlight level stuff when it, it's meaningful minutes not that he didn't play meaningful minutes just the the actual athletic pops or when he has the the freedom to do it because you're not getting yanked out of the game yeah totally is there is there a final name you want to mention there there is a final name because based on on playing five on five a, a guy that i think could could boogie and show some stuff is nashawn bones highland uh, because, i'll be interested to see if bones plays five on five if he does yeah you're breaking my heart a little bit but my, my quick take is just a style of play getting up and down making reads on the fly he's a little bit of this last of a dying breed of he actually grew up like playing pickup basketball outside yeah in the park and 
Bobby Mays, who who played at Tennessee, is on our Under Armour strike. One of the directors actually posted a video today saying nobody plays pickup basketball anymore. Like there used to be a time where you played fives, you got tougher, you learned to the fly, and you lost. You sat out for thirty minutes, like you weren't getting back right. on the court. He like most today players, it's all about trainers and and not playing in these team settings. And Bones is really a playground legend in Philadelphia and Delaware added polish and had a great season for vcu i don't want to take away anything he did during the atlantic 10 season either he's gonna find his shots he took 14 a game this year uh almost 20 points per game so it wouldn't surprise me to to see him show well if and when he plays oh i I think he is gonna show well in a setting like this i mean the other thing is he's range out like 35 feet oh yeah yeah no he has range like that he he can kick his legs out and take fadeaways take runners take floaters uh and, and stay on the court and win and want to stay on the court yeah i am uh i am very interested in this entire uh deal with bones and then the the champagnes are two guys we haven't mentioned uh julian obviously is uh still testing and we'll see if he ends up deciding to go through with the nba draft justin is in the nba draft it seems like so I think that both of those guys could really help themselves. Justin, if he shows some of the perimeter skills that he didn't get to show at Pitt. And then Julian, if he uh, just goes and really balls out. Because I feel like a lot of a lot of teams are just a little bit hesitant on his overall athleticism level right now. And not, I mean, I don't know if they're fives, but kind of like this interchangeable wing 3-4. Would you say that's a, yeah. a fairish read on it? If they yep. were a couple inches bigger, and I know this is very lazy because they're also twins, you could talk kind of like this small ball Morris, Marcus Morris type of, of fit role. If you're six seven, you're going to have to be able to shoot it. That, that's the yep. way I look at it. And I think Julian can shoot it. Justin, I'm a little bit more worried about, but Julian will shoot it. It's everything else that I think I'm a little bit worried about. Yes, I agree with that. Okay, uh, Penny. Do you have anything else that you need to get off your chest? How is uh, how's below deck going? How are <laughs> below uh, below decks over? I, I was actually waiting because I, I you've broke my heart a couple times during the podcast, telling me guys aren't going to play, which which is right and which is reality. Uh, do you want to talk about in the heights not not hitting your, your box office numbers and views you projected? Oh, uh, I mean, in the heights is one of the best movies I've seen in years, uh, or at least come on. It, maybe not one of the best movies let me rephrase that it's one of the best experiences i've had in a movie theater in years is maybe the better way to put it <laughs> were, were you dancing in the aisles because I, I i watched it i'm I, i'm gonna be completely honest here full disclosure not the biggest like musical type of guy like la la land didn't do it for me either yeah. but i was laughing watching it being like i know sam watches in the movie theater is he like nodding his head right now? Is he tapping his feet? Is he like dancing between <laughs> takes? Is it packed? Like I, I wanted to put myself in, in that room just to see how you're reacting to these scenes where they're coming out of the stores and they're dancing in the streets and the fire hydrants are going off. I, I was I was interested in your take. Oh, uh, definitely like head nodding, like foot tapping for sure. <laughs> um, look, the, the theater maybe had like there were probably ten people in the theater. It, it wasn't it wasn't a packed screening, right? Um, it, I went at like one thirty the day it came out in the afternoon. Um, so it wasn't like a raucous environment. Like when I went to see fast nine last night, like that was raucous. I don't even know if it was raucous, but like it was a younger crowd. There were people there that like were laughing and were like yelling. Like it was, it was a different crowd. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it, it, it does make that experience. And, and I, I remember 
one of my favorite movie experiences ever was I saw Rush Hour 2 first night, and it was sold out, and the place Penny, was packed. I swear to God, dude, I just watched Rush Hour 2 earlier this week. <laughs> What do you do with your time, man? Like, how do you watch Rush Hour 2 now? Like, sometimes on TNT, I'll, like, have in the background. But, wow. Anyway. I, well, so, I watched uh, it. Uh, Laura fell asleep at, like, 9.30 one night okay. this week. Because um, she has to wake up at, like, 6 o'clock. So, you know, obviously makes sense if you're very tired. And we've been, like, out shopping for, like, new house stuff. So, it's... It, we've been very busy but you know she fell asleep at 9 30 and i was like okay i'm just gonna watch the rush hour movies so, <laughs> so i watched rush so, hour well, one one night and rush hour two the you next do back night. to back oh yeah, my god not back to back what, back to back so do you, all right that's aggressive i guess but my, my experience was it was a packed theater it was sold out uh it was like literally standing room only like oversold it and it was late in the movie and people were cheering <laughs> and there's a scene where a guy's like creeping up behind chris tucker and a guy in the audience yells, Chris, look out. I was like, I can't hear you. Like, what are you yelling for? Like, people are cheering. So that was, I don't know if that was your Fast 9 experience, but that was my Rush Hour 2 experience. No, definitely not the Fast 9 experience. It's amazing. It was, you had, like, end game like, movie theater experience for Rush Hour 2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Chris, look out. Chris, that's, look out. That's Penny's recruiting story for the day. Him that's watching it. Yeah. Rush Hour yeah. 2. My, my um, other recruiting story was built in when you get into it with Ja'Cory McLaughlin actually went to like one of our last Reebok camps and the most memorable thing was we had car service pick up the players and his got into an accident on the way from the airport to, the, oh to camp so his dad calls me he's like hey our car crashed what do we do here I'm like uh, I don't know man like, wait for the next one he was fine everyone's fine but just when, you, when you're running camp it's like what else can go wrong yeah a car accident driving from one place to another great yeah and Ja'Cory was like a top 100 kid wasn't he he was, yeah. Went to Oregon State, super talented. Yep. Which he showed when he when he did play, he showed. Yeah. Uh, okay, Penny, uh, tell the people where they can find your work. My work, albeit limited. I'm on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. I will be back on the road. I'm in gyms. I'm at the New England Prep School event next weekend. College coaches are out this weekend for the first time in ages to actually put their physical eyeballs on players many of which they haven't seen so i'm excited to uh get this cranked up and get be back in the mix again yeah it's great that you're going to be out again uh no no chicago for you for the combine no uh random random workouts you're going to <laughs> I, I would love to i, I kind of got gifted that list of, of pro days and i would love to sit there for for three days but we're we're not quite in the budget we're getting there we're not we're not quite here there well the the pro day thing is fascinating and i do wonder if the existence of those pro days ends up seeing less guys play at the combine in order to just like let the pro day stand for itself because for people who don't know uh this year the nba has mandated basically all agency pro days have to be in chicago like the week of the combine basically it's just right after the combine people are staying in chicago and doing the um doing the pro day scene over like three days and each get like an hour and a half segment so it is yep. it is beneficial for for scouts i mean I, I do feel bad for the nba guys have to be there for like 10 days between the g league camp and and into the combine into three or four days of pro days as well but they'll uh like many guys they're they're back in the gym i'm sure they're eager to see what the the body language and jumper and form and off-court stuff look beyond just the basketball too watching on on film and synergy like we do so often oh boy all right penny We'll be back next week after the combine happens and we'll talk about 
all of the things that actually happened that we previewed today. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We'll be back next week uh, with a little bit more. I think I might have another podcast coming about the NBA playoffs later this weekend. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.